your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, where I'm being accosted by two dogs, as is tradition. Accosted, he says. So, <laughs> so we're here uh, with the Minnesota episode, and boy, it's glad it's good to finally be able to talk about a national champion in this conference on, on the heels of their consensus all all outlets national championship after prevailing over Auburn and the Alpecal. Gopher Nation is rowing as high as they possibly can. So Minnesota gets their first season of at least 10 wins since 1904. Woo! Which, I mean, I know that for a long stretch of that period, they weren't necessarily even playing 10 games, but like... Basketball was eight years old. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, six years old. Depends on... Yeah, I guess it depends on how you... Sure. Um... Yeah, so they get to 11 wins. They get an impressive win over a, a strong SEC team in Auburn. Not, you know, not in LSU or in Alabama. But they knock off the next tier down of SEC team in a very entertaining Outback Bowl. I was watching pieces of it in the airport on our way back from Florida. Um, but, look, this was, it was, I guess you could call this a, could you call this a breakthrough season? Yeah, unqualified okay. as far as I'm concerned. I mean... Okay, they have so not. Well, this, they haven't had a season like this in damn near twenty years. Well, not not exactly like this in. They haven't had damn no, near a hundred twenty. Yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, they haven't had a season that's even within an order of magnitude. The as far as as far as being relevant nationally, the one little thing that I might disagree with is, I think you could call it a qualified success in that they left the division title on the table in the yes. last week of the season. That's about all you can say. But nonetheless, yes, this is... Although, I am also... I keep forgetting, like, yeah, Minnesota won, like, nine games a few years in a row, like, not very long ago, so it's not like we're taught... So, like, yeah, we're talking about somebody that hasn't won division titles, but right. we're also not talking we're about somebody We're not talking about Rutgers. We're yeah. Not, yeah, we're not talking about Indiana. We're not talking about Illinois. Yeah. So, it, it's not like they haven't been close to this place before. And, right, yeah, the Glenn Mason line was basically eight wins, right? So, you would Apparently get... You'd seven. get yeah, you would get that every year, but obviously the difference between eight and ten wins is considerable, right? Um, talking about being ranked in the top ten, talking about the ability yeah. to knock off a Penn State. Yeah, yeah, and the Penn State win was probably the high water mark of the season. I mean, no, definitely the high water mark of the season, even with the bowl rebound. Well, one of those one of those program defining moments. Yes, it certainly was. That's it, very fair to say. I wonder if. So, look, P.J. Fleck is still not my cup of tea. I don't know he's not yours either. But there's no denying that what he has put together here appears to be working. Um, now, whether he's reached his ceiling there and can, or whether he can go higher remains to be seen, and I guess we'll find that out. Um, they certainly have some questions to answer this season, and you know, we'll get into those in a little bit more detail in a second here, but... I wonder if, what that Penn State game kind of felt like for me. I wonder if it's going to have the same. And if he goes on to have the kind of career that Minnesota fans hope he does, I bet they're going to look back at that game the way that I think about the Little Giants game where Michigan State called the trick 
play the fake field goal against Notre Dame. Like that game by itself didn't win them anything, but it was it was a sign like, oh, what do we have here? And then things were great for several years after that. I wonder. So like the, 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 I, I wonder if this might be one of those big moment kind of things. That's so like kind of, the opposite, I had that feel. So like the opposite of the 2012 debacle in the desert for Illinois, where it's like, oh, oh, we have no <laughs> idea what we're doing here. Oh my god. Oh shit. We're gonna be sure. We're not gonna win a conference game for two years. Sure. There's there's <laughs> a negative polarity to this kind of moment too. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So looking over Minnesota's results. It certainly took them a little while to get rolling, didn't it? They had a month of one-score escapes at the beginning of the season. Boy. Lest we forget, that double overtime win should not have been a win. They did not deserve to win that game. Yeah, um, South Dakota State gave them absolutely all they could handle. <laughs> I mean, they needed a late escape from Georgia Southern, too. Um, one touchdown win over Purdue. But then from there... Despite moving into the conference season, their schedule actually got easier because they, you know, they go from playing a, a pretty tough or at least a tricky non-conference slate to Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland, and three of those were at home. Yeah, so of course Illinois, um, Minnesota doesn't run Wisconsin's offense, so forty <laughs> points right there. Right, right. Um, but the, I, mean, I mean, the good I mean, thing you can you can basically as soon as Brandon Peters left the game, uh, it's basically like you know like you had like your primary mission objective, but like <laughs> so, oh, and there's like a red line through it now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's like all right, well, yeah, it's it's like it's a victory condition, yeah. <laughs> so so it's like you know you can claim the cultural victory in Civ in Civ Six before somebody else claims the you know the military victory. Sure. <laughs> so I don't even know if Civ Six has that mechanic, but. It yeah, it has culture victories and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, um, in any case, they claimed they claimed the score victory <clears throat> and the Brandon Peters victory. <laughs> um, and of course, this was pointed out. A, a lot of Minnesota fans felt confident about this because the way the schedule was set up, they were able to build some momentum, and they certainly did. I mean, they the month of October was very good for Minnesota fans. Um, I believe, if I'm doing my math right here, yeah, that Minnesota or the Illinois game was the closest one they had. Um, Jesus, yeah, took it to and, and again. That was is, that was one that I did not watch the first half of because I was hell bent on enjoying myself that weekend. Uh, and then you know got a score update, chucked my phone and decided to turn it off again. Totally understand. And that was the closest yeah. game Minnesota had in the month of October. Yeah, and so by the time they get to the end of October, they have a bye to then for catch their breath, prepare for Penn State, and they pulled it off. They beat a top-five team on on home field. They did have home field advantage, but that feels like one of the big triumphant moments. And then we go to Kinnick and lose to Iowa. So, so much for that. They got Uh, down big in that game early, right? I believe so, yeah. I think they had to scratch and fight back. Um, They end up losing by one score, but again, a loss is a loss. They bounce back against Northwestern, but then... They go and isn't thirty-eight seventeen Roger Sherman's um, description of a Fetty whapping? Yeah. So they get Fetty whapped by Wisconsin, hand the axe right back to him, um, and so they lose to their two biggest rivals. I mean, that's that's not. It. But again, if the interactions I've had with Minnesota Twitter and our online presence has been any indication they don't feel that sting at all of losing to both Iowa and Wisconsin in the span of three weeks when they had an undefeated season in front of them. 
Um, and so, yeah, again, they go on and then they beat Auburn, ranked number 12 at the time. And that's, that's you can't, you can't fault them for the season. Like, you're not going to go from where they were in year two to 15-0 undefeated national champions. Like, there's still space left to climb, and there's still reason to think that they could go higher than they have so far. They had, they had basically five of what you might call marquee opponents, and they won, you know, they Hold up. No, no, no. Four of what you'd call marquee opponents. Yeah, I was going to say. And they won two of those games. <laughs> I was going to say, are we counting Fresno State as a marquee opponent? Or what are we doing here? Yeah, but, yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah, so they won two of those games. But they, as good as it was to beat Auburn and Penn State there, I mean, what a bitter loss to Wisconsin to, yeah. Yeah, and it, <laughs> to prevent mean, it from growing even further. Right, and... Especially a Wisconsin team that you'd finally exercise the demon to that streak. Yeah, you'd beaten him the year before. Like it, it was strange that you know. I don't know. Well, they had him dead to rights, uh, as we covered in the Iowa podcast. Minnesota had a had a game up on them. Um, mm-hmm. Oh no, no, they had two games up on them because of Wisconsin's slip up against Illinois. Yeah, um, so they had two games up on Wisconsin. They lost to Iowa and then lost a head to head. Yeah, so. What are you going to do? Um, looking then at personnel, so obviously the biggest building piece they've got right now is that Tanner Morgan is back. Um, they were going to have Rashad Bateman, a guy who looked like you know an uncoverable deep threat, flair for the highlight clutch play. He recently announced that he's not playing this season. That's a projected first-round pick who's no longer available in your wide receiver core. And that's also in an offseason where you lose Tyler Johnson, probably the best and I think the most prolific wide receiver in your school history. You also lose Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks from the running game, although you still have Mohamed Ibrahim there, so it's not like you don't have anything. And your entire offensive line is now back. Who was the third so, receiver for them last year? Chris Ottman-Bell, who is going to have to – he's, he's – Gotta take a huge step forward because they are going to need him. Um, they have some other interesting recruits, but nobody else who's done much in the passing game. But the thing again, the thing they do have, if they can find one more playmaker out wide, they should be fine because their whole offensive line is back. You that's rare. You don't see that. Mohammed they Ibrahim, lose, yeah. They lose twenty five hundred yards of receiving. Yeah. Two thousand yard receivers. Twelve hundred yard receivers. Yeah. So that's not nothing. And That's, 24 touchdowns. Give me, since I assume you have the stats up, what were Ottman Bell's stats last year? Because it's a pretty substantial drop-off. 28 catches for 371 and 5 touchdowns. Yeah, and I believe he was a sophomore, so there are probably some freshman stats you could extrapolate from, too. He's going to have a huge jump in production because they don't have anybody else. They've, he's got to have a big jump in production. Yeah. Now, of course, so they, they lost... Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks, correct? Yes, but they do still have Mohamed Ibrahim, who it's this weird situation where in 2018 he was their bell cow because Smith and Brooks were both hurt. Then those two guys come back. Ibrahim got into the mix occasionally last year, but Smith was definitely their lead back. Now Smith and Brooks are out of eligibility, so Ibrahim, a guy who's already been the lead guy before, comes back. Kind of like rested, right? I would assume 
he yeah. wouldn't have taken as much in the way of shots last year. So he, he had 114 carries last year. Yeah, you that's, don't that's really have work. anybody with experience backing him up, but you really no. only need one experienced guy. Yeah, and that's again running back and is running usually back. one of the easier spots to find. Yeah. Of course, they return um, battering ram Seth Green. <laughs> Do they have C- him one C- more year? I thought he was done, but I no, think he's a, yeah. he's a senior. You have this the uh, the goal line siege engine that is yeah. Seth Green. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, look, you know, you you wouldn't think that many guys with his pedigree would because I mean, when he was recruited by Jerry Kill, he was brought there to be the starting quarterback. Like to the exclusion, of, like they had a hole. And you remember when Flat got there, their quarterback recruiting or the depth chart was was just like like. Tumbleweeds. Velvet Vic Viramontes. Uh, Who never ended up. Vehemently did not play a damn snap for Minnesota. <laughs> so Converted to linebacker before not playing a damn snap. Yeah. And so Fleck, had to br- Fleck brought in Tanner Morgan and Zach Onyxstad simultaneously. I'm not sure if Onyxstad's even still on the team. Um, because I think Morgan played pretty much every snap for them last year. At least every meaningful one. I don't know. Anyway. My point is, the receiving group is really the only place where they have problems now. And they do have big problems without Bateman. Like, that's a huge loss. They were counting on him with Tyler Johnson graduating to be, you know, 90 catches, 1,500 yards, 12 touchdowns. Like, that's the kind of season that he could have had. Altman Bell's got a lot of potential, but you're projecting big time. There's nobody else to take a defense's attention off of you. Um, and obviously one receiver is not enough. We saw that from the Jerry Kill era where they tried to use one receiver all the time. <laughs> um, they do also have a complete tight end group back. They didn't lose anybody from there. But Kirk Sierroca, their old offensive coordinator, did not use the tight ends really as anything more than blocking surfaces. That being said, Sierroca is gone, poached by Penn State, who apparently liked what they saw in that beating. Um, yeah, isn't that great when uh, you lose to a team and they steal your coordinator? <laughs> yeah, well, when you're when you're a Penn State type of team, you'd be like, oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, well, what do you mean was... you'll take it? Oh, yeah, I mean I'm gonna have it now. Like it's mine. Like it, you you have the thing, and but I see it and I want it. So, uh, so mine now is how that goes. Imagine. You have a milkshake. <laughs> My straw reaches all the way across the room <laughs> into your milkshake, and, and it flows into, over to me. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Right. So, so they have a new offensive coordinator hired, I think, away from Notre Dame um, and Mike Stanford Jr. They could, I mean... Ooh, I think yeah. that was a Western Kentucky head coach. Um, oh, no, you're right. Briefly. I think they did get him from Western Kentucky. No, no, because he, he was the head coach at Western Kentucky for like either one or two years because he was awful, and then he went to Notre Dame. Yeah. Well, so, all right. So the point, my point is... Manage the impressive feat of losing to the 2017 Fighting Illini. Sure. So but my, that's a totally different context. So I, I bring up Sanford in the context of the tight ends because, of course, Notre Dame always has a good tight end. That was the case last year with Cole Komet. Um, so if you're a Minnesota fan, you're probably optimistic that with this new offensive coordinator and a sudden 
issue of proven star power at wide receiver that your tight ends get more involved but this should be a great running game helmed by Ibrahim. I mean, it's not, you know, 16, 1700 yards. That kind of thing should be entirely in play if he stays healthy and we actually play 10 games. Uh, <laughs> again, big questions. Defensively, they're going to have some guys to replace as well. Um, big time playmakers are gone here. So Carter Coughlin, um, a couple of good linebackers and Martin and Barber. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr. is obviously the guy they're going to miss the most. A guy who, I think he was there for like four years, but he was only a redshirt sophomore because of the injuries he had. Right. But huge threat in the return game, dynamic center fielder of a safety. He went off to the NFL draft. Um, they have recruited well enough that you can probably assume they'll find decent guys. You know, the pass rush situation, they need some guys to prove it on the field who have not done it so far. Um, they, they are strong in a place where it's good to be strong, though, which is that corner. Um, I think, I mean, with Coney Durr and Benjamin St. Just, I would say I'd probably take Michigan's corners over them, Ohio State's, maybe Penn State's. But those are, I mean, again, if you're not recruiting at that blue-chip level where every guy is a five-star, this is about as good of a combination as you can get. Those guys, they'll be just fine at corner. Um but they did lose five of their top six tacklers. So offense, they only have one problem, but it's a big one. Defensively, they have more losses, but they're spread out a little more evenly. And there are some names you can throw out there and feel okay about them. Interesting quirk of Minnesota's schedule. Like Iowa, they open up with six straight games. Uh, but three of those in a row, from week three through five, they play the entire quadrangle of hate. They yeah, Minnesota's going to know... Iowa, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. They're going to know a week into October basically what their fate is because... Yeah, by the time been... they get to their first bye, <laughs> they've already played all of the most difficult teams. I mean, being third place in the West, they they dodged all of the good teams from, uh, you know, adding... Yeah. They don't have to play Ohio yeah, State or Penn State. They don't have to play Ohio State. State or Penn State. So they, they added get... Indiana, which is... Tough. I mean, they could... Which is a tough yeah. one, but... but could After have been Michigan worse. State, much worse. they end up or they play in week two. They play Michigan yeah. and then Iowa and then Wisconsin. So you better basically. It it almost seems like by October, Minnesota is going to know what kind of season they're going to have. Yeah, if you get through that stretch three and one, or certainly if you make it to four and zero, oh, then all your goals are in front of you. Be as chesty as you want at that point. If you get to four and zero oh after that September, I won't even. I'll, I'll <laughs> hold my tongue. And you'll deserve to say whatever you want to say about your program there, Minnesota fans, because then you will have proven it. Um, Of course, um, you're not suggesting it's impossible that they dick trip over the cakewalk of a schedule that they've got after Indiana, are you? Impossible. Don't see it happening. Not at all. Can't speak it into reality by saying that they're going to overlook an Indiana or an Illinois, or a Northwestern. It's just not a thing that would realistically happen, I don't think. Well, we know that they're going to beat Purdue because if we even so much as say Jeff Brom's name, we know Minnesota fans are going to be all the hell over us talking about how we're disrespecting their man. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's on us for forgetting who the Minnesota program is really about. So, let's talk basketball. A um, little bit less happy of a conversation for Minnesota people. 
Last season was absolutely one to forget. Um, they did get some much-needed good news recently in that Marcus Carr opted to withdraw from the NBA draft and return to the team, which is good, because if he hadn't, they would have been looking at first overall pick type of terrible record. Um, of course, that being a tongue-in-cheek reference in that being bad does not make you better in college basketball. So even before they got to the mine shaft full of wood chippers that was the Big Ten last year, Minnesota was having kind of a bad time to start the basketball season. They played a pretty difficult non-conference schedule, and they paid for it. They lost to Oklahoma. They lost to Butler. They lost to Utah. They lost to DePaul. Um, they did get an early win over Ohio State, which, again, you got to remember, in December, a win over Ohio State looked extremely good. The Buckeyes were a top three-ish team in the country at one point. Um and then when we get back into conference play in January, the Gophers stayed afloat for a little while, but they pretty clearly ran out of gas after that. They relied heavily on Daniel Oturu. Um, and so, yeah, you talk about being dependent on a big man. We just wrapped up Iowa. I mean, yeah. to, to much worse results, but man, Minnesota had nothing else going on. They they were so much more volatile at the guard spots. So with Iowa, you you would get what you got out of Garza, and it was usually going to be big production. And then you could typically count on some combination of C.J. Frederick, Joe Wieskamp, um, Connor McCaffrey. Between the three of them, you're getting like between 20 and 30 points. And that's perfectly fine. So the problem Minnesota had, at least what it felt like to me, was... You know, Daniel Teru took an absolute star turn. I mean, 20 points a game, 11 rebounds a game, very good interior defense, a menacing rim blocker or rim protector. But some nights you would get 35 from Marcus Carr. Some nights you would get 7. Some nights Gabe Kalshauer might show up for 23. Other nights he's 0 for 6 from deep. Some nights Peyton Willis is going to show up, and now he's scoring 20 points, and then he goes another two or three games, and you don't hear much from him. They did not have consistency from their backcourt that allowed them to have a coherent plan game in and game out or reliably show up. So the other issue, of course, is that behind Daniel Oturu, the drop-off in the front court was just precipitous. I mean, they, they got very little front court production from guys other than him. And again, when you have a star like that, you expect like the guys behind him are not going to be as good most of the time. But you got to get something out of them. Um, and it's it's fair to say that aside from Oturu, nobody on this team showed up every night. Some guys like Carr were there more often than others, um, but they just did not have enough around him to really make use of his abilities. So imagine. <coughs> where Minnesota was with Marcus Carr in the draft. I mean, you're pretty much, I mean... That's that's worse than Nebraska. That's like, that's worse than Nebraska Northwestern last year. That's a one or two win team in the league. That being said, even with Marcus Carr, just what is their ceiling? Boy, um, so first of all, they have a couple of... Because you can have the number one overall pick in the NBA draft and miss the tournament. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> it, it's happened very recently. Indeed. Um, 
The answer actually is that we don't know yet because they have two transfer decisions pending that will make a big difference in their fortunes this year. Um, as far as up front, obviously, Oturu leaving is a thing that they have to address. They have a transfer coming from Drake, um, Liam Robbins. He's a seven-footer. It's a step up in competition. I always counsel guys who are, opt- you know, if you're optimistic about getting somebody who was all MIAC or whatever, you got to remember, he's playing much better of competition now. So, Well, and specifically, playing much bigger athletes. Yeah, he's not, he's not just going to be reaching over everybody that he plays anymore. Um, so I always tell people, like, temper your expectations about lower division transfers coming up, but... He would be a huge help if they can get him, obviously. They do have they have a guy that they know is going to be eligible in Brandon Johnson from Western Michigan. He is a power forward, though, but that's good because we talked a lot about Otur, but the thing is he played center. They did not get much out of their power forwards last year. They had a one-year transfer in Alihan Demir, who was okay sometimes. Didn't really contribute much, though. He was never more than like a fourth option on offense. And then behind him, um, I can never remember the guy's first name, but Omersa was basically, he was one of those guys who comes onto the floor with two fouls, right? Like, the, he couldn't stay on the floor. Right. He had his occasional moment, but they did not get much out of the power forward spot. So if Brandon Johnson can give them something there, seven, eight points a night, <clears throat> I think they would take that. And then a third transfer from Utah, Both Gok. I think I'm saying his name right. First name is Both Gatch. First name is Both B O T H. It's pretty metal. Um, <clears throat> you know, he sounds like a vampire or something. Both Guck. But he's listed as a six foot seven shooting guard. So I I don't know. I'll admit I don't know much about his game. But he's also st- <laughs> there has been no ruling on his transfer eligibility. I guess actually at this point, let me check really quick. We should know if he's withdrawn from the NBA draft or not because that deadline passed. He did indeed withdraw from the draft, and that was last week. So I guess now they just have to wait and see if he's eligible to transfer immediately or if he has to sit a year. Um, They would need him either way because even though Carr is back, Peyton Willis transferred, and he was a guy who transferred in. He had something of a role. I mean, I think he was a fairly consistent starter for them. I mean, consistent that he started, not that he produced. Um, but So he's gone. Uh, they also lose a Turu. That's like I weird. Said, Demir was a one-year guy. It guys, is weird, yeah. Well, I'm, guys that... Illinois basketball, guys that have transferred in and then transferred out after a year, after a year of playing... There's a reason that they've transferred out. Yes, it's, there usually is. There usually is, and it's. I always. It always feels a little inappropriate to speculate why, but you can occasionally tell that a guy. There are guys that simply are not going to be happy where they are. I mean, Cam Mack from Nebraska is another guy who came in. He had a big role. It's. It was hard to see on the court why he would be dissatisfied, but off he goes. Easy come, easy go, I suppose. And look, we let. This is going to be kind of the norm. It feels like player motion is going to be more freely allowed going for like we're not going back in terms of movement rules like you're not they're not going to put more restrictions in that's not going to fly so it's just going to be the way things are now um but yeah so well wait a second 
if they're not going to restrict movement more going forward, then my goodness, what are Iowa fans going to do? Boy, um, probably. Well, they certainly won't call it basketball. <laughs> uh, relentlessly complain until they in, until whenever they hire a defensively oriented coach, and then they'll say that it's beautiful team defense and so forward. Because obviously, whatever your team does is the virtuous thing. So, assuming that basketball is able to occur next year, um, this is a team that's going to go as far as Marcus Carr can take them. And I think that's true even if both of their transfers are eligible. I don't know if either of those guys is an obvious centerpiece. Gok probably helps them offensively more than Robbins does. I mean, I think both will help out pretty. (laughs) Couldn't help yourself, could you? Uh, Um They'll still have Gabe Kalshauer. I think what we saw from him last year is he's probably suited in a more complimentary role. Um, man, he had some games where he shot them out of games. And on the one hand, a shooter's got to have the ability to forget that he missed the last however many shots. But it just felt like he wasn't quite ready for the kind of role that they needed from him. So if, you know, look. Maybe Trey Williams, a guy who got some reserve minutes, steps up. Maybe one of the transfers is able to take a bigger role. And, you know, a little post scoring out of Brandon Johnson would sure help keep the pressure off of Carr. But I really think, like, if you're playing any foreseeable iteration of this Minnesota team, you just play to give to give Marcus Carr the hardest shots that he can that he'll that he can take because he's also of the mentality that he doesn't necessarily see a shot he doesn't like. Yeah, so I was I was noticing that we've got recruits laid out here, and I saw Jamal oh, yeah. Ashburn Jr. Uh huh. Yeah, we're old and decrepit, and the inevitable grind of time shall turn us all to dust. Jamal Mashburn Jr. Oh, is in Lord. college. Um, he's their he's their best recruit, number one twenty nine nationally. So that gives you an idea of. Kind of where they're pitching, recruiting wise. Where they get a load of uh, next year redshirt freshman JT Barrett Jr. JT well, Barrett the third. No, <laughs> the fifth. The fifth, yeah, yeah. JT B five. I just wonder what kind of documentation they need to provide in order to put the numeral. Or on if you the could back. just pay, if you just be like, oh yeah, I'm also the fourth. Well, look, and just Brandon <laughs> Peters' <laughs> number is eighteen. Why can't he just be like, I'm Brandon Peters the eighteenth? Put the Roman numerals on there. Peter's <laughs> XVI. I think it'd be pretty cool. Let him do it. Um, right. So anyway, uh, or if you could do like, or if you could, or or if you could do, um, if your number is one, then you or like like Trent Fraser <coughs> is number one, and you could just do Fraser the first. So look, this is us. Fraser Ryman. This is us trying to find polite ways around the fact that Minnesota's recruiting class is not likely to have much impact next year. Mashburn has the bloodlines. Maybe you throw him out there and see what he can do as a lead guard. I think he was rated as a combo guard. Um, they do have a six foot ten prospect in Martise Mitchell, who, look, they can certainly use that kind of body up front, especially if Robbins is not eligible. They're going to need him right away. And they also have an international player, David Mutaf, um, from Turkey, I believe, which I think is also where Demir came from. So an interesting little pipeline there. Um, 
he's basically, I don't think he was rated, if I remember right, when I was looking this up. So international prospects are always a little bit more of a mystery. Um, short of the highest rated guys who are also on like NBA radars, good luck finding accurate rating information for them. But it's worth noting, like, you know, they don't give scholarships to random European guys for no reason. Like, he got onto Minnesota's radar somehow. Who knows what he brings right away, though? Um, again, all this kind of leads back to the fact that Marcus Carr is... It feels like he's in for a Taylor Battle kind of situation, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, a Ben Simmons situation. Sure. Uh, so, you know, it. look, the good news is if you're a Minnesota sports fan... A Malcolm Hill situation. Yeah, if you're, if you're a Minnesota sports fan... John Sherna. You're probably going to have a pretty good football season. Twins are doing good. Um, Man, it's an easy-ass football schedule. Uh, Timberwolves. Yeah, that, uh, just, just focus on the Twins. Think about the Twins. Everything will be okay. Your source for Big Ken Kong. It's off tackle.